As we continue our series in the letters of the book of Revelation to the seven churches, we come to the letter to the church in Sardis, and Jesus in this letter asks them, and as well asks us, to consider something, to consider asking ourselves, How do we know that we are truly alive and not dead? Obviously, Jesus is talking in a spiritual sense. We would know if we were physically dead, I would hope, right? (laughs) But how would we know if we are spiritually dead and not alive? There's something I think that is very haunting at the core of this text, especially for us as modern people, because I think Perhaps you could say that more than ever, this is harder to discern in the modern world. It it reminds me of a moment that I had of realization when watching the most recent Matrix movie. I think it's Matrix 4 or something. Um, No, that is not a picture of me from college with long hair. Uh, But uh, this is of the Matrix, and when I was in high school, the first Matrix came out. And the core of the story goes something like this. Some, there's some alien invasion, and they take over the world, and they essentially put human beings into this matrix state, this simulator, where they live in this dreamlike state, and in that state where they're kind of asleep to reality, they are in that state kind of plugged in, and, and this alien force kind of uses them as their source of energy, okay? So they're plugged into this, and the whole point of the movie, uh, the whole epic, the whole drama is how they will break out of the matrix, how could they, they wake up and help everyone else wake up and escape from the reality of the matrix? So why it hit me at the end of the most recent one? Because we're sitting there watching it, and at the end of it, essentially what happens is, I think it's Neo and Infinity, I, I can't remember their names, but uh, they essentially at the end of it choose, instead of escaping from the matrix, they choose instead to essentially embrace it and instead to reign in the matrix. They almost as if at the end, it's like this has become such a, a, a all-encompassing reality that's hard to fight against that it's almost better than trying to make the most of life in reality and being awake. It's almost just better that we would choose instead to just reign in this non-reality, this thing that ultimately isn't actually even true. The reason why I say, and I give that, share that, is it captures something that I think we in the modern world, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we being primed as modern people just to essentially check out of reality, to just tap into some matrix simulator type reality, go to sleep, and just live something that is not in the end the ultimate real thing, and just try to make the most of it? and try to feel alive. See, Jesus writes these words because he says in every society, in every generation, in every culture, there is a tendency to actually try to opt out of what is most real. And for Jesus, what he's saying in the book of Revelation, what is most real is the reality of who I am, the reality of the God of the universe, the reality of heaven and earth and eternity, that this is act one in this life, and then there is the act of all of eternity after this life. And we can tend to just try to reign in this world, make the most of this world, and miss 
the entirety of God's kingdom and what is ultimate and most true. And Jesus says it can feel, here's the tricky thing, we can actually assume very much so in this life that we're alive. We can go very far in this life, in this world, and, and, and feel like we're alive. And we have these moments where in, maybe in the silence where we go, perhaps it's, perhaps it's not enough, but he says what actually is there is you're not actually alive, you're dead. And so what we're going to consider today is essentially, are we spiritually alive? Or are we settling to just kind of reign in this world and miss out on the ultimate calling that Christ has upon us and the ultimate life that is found in Him? So first we're going to look at why it's easier to stay asleep in the matrix. Yes, I'm going to milk this analogy for all it's worth. Why it's easier to stay asleep in the matrix, and then two, how to wake up. How to wake up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of, of our default is to be dead. Our default is to be asleep to the reality of who you are. And so, Lord, we thank you that in these words you, you come and startle us awake. You, you wake us up. You give us a few moments of sobriety. And, and so, Lord, would you in these next few minutes, Lord, would you use these words, your words, not merely my words, but your words to wake us up. Spirit, wherever this needs to be applied in our lives, would you apply it? Would you open our eyes and see the joy, the eternal calling that we have upon our lives so, Lord, we would not just settle for reigning in this life but ultimately have a vision for what it looks like to reign with you forever. And the freedom that is in that, the life that is in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how, how do you, why is it easier to stay awake or stay asleep in the matrix? Uh, verse 1, again, chapter 3 of Revelation. says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits, of God in the seven stars. So again, all the letters start with kind of a vision of Jesus and his reign, some facet of it. And in this one, it, it has this picture of these seven spirits ready to kind of move in the seven, amongst these seven stars. So what's going on here? Uh, seven stars back in Revelation 1, uh, Jesus says the stars are the seven churches. So it's saying amongst the seven churches, which stand for the historical seven churches of the first century, where the letters are being written to, and it also, because the number seven is a number of completion in Scripture, is referring to the churches throughout all time. And it's saying these seven spirits. It's not saying there are seven Holy Spirits. It's saying that the Holy Spirit is ready to move, it seems, amongst all of the churches. There's a fullness of the presence of the Spirit that is ready to move out in the church and every generation and every society and every culture and to bring the life and the presence of God to us. Now, what's interesting is he's saying this to a church where he's saying, I have a solution for your ultimate problem, but the church seems to be under the assumption that they don't need what Jesus is offering. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I have a solution. The Spirit is ready to move amongst any of you, and the assumption is, why would I need the solution, Jesus, if I don't have the problem? 
And, and I think we should pause here just to go, I think often in our lives what happens is we want God to move in our life, but, but ultimately we think we're fully alive, we think we've got it all together, and we think we have actually no need for life from God because actually, thank you very much, I'm doing fine on my own. But Jesus says life, true life, the life that in our quiet moments we know we need, he says, can only come from me. And I am ready to move if you will listen and open your eyes. Which gets to then what's holding them back? What's this assumption that they have? It says in the second half of verse 1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, that's quite a statement, right? Imagine Jesus, like you get a letter in the mail from Jesus. You're like, friends, gather around, and you open it. And you're like, Jesus says, you think you're alive, but you're dead. And you're like, never mind, right? Like, this is quite a statement. So, what is Jesus saying here? Well, on one level, it's simple. He's saying, publicly, publicly, everyone around you, publicly, the reputation, it says, what everyone around you is saying is, wow, you're alive. You've got it together. Like you're getting all the experiences, you've got all the success, you've got the intelligence, you're attractive, whatever that might be, you've got it all together. Life's working for you, the life of the party. You have a reputation that you're alive. Everyone around you would say, man, look at them. That's the public perception of you. But then he gives the, what you could say is God's private perception of you. God's perception of you is different than that public perception. It says, no, you're not actually alive, you're dead. It's different. A one, that perception is you're alive, but then the other, you're dead, empty. There's no real substance under it. There's no real spark of life. Now, the question is, why would they be content with being dead, right? Like, no, no one's like, wakes up and is like, I today feel like being dead, right? We wake up, we want to feel alive, right? They, and, and why don't they, why are they content if God's saying you're dead? Why are they content with being dead? Because here's the thing, they assume they're alive. Read it again. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They have a world all around them that's saying, look at you. The echo chamber of their life is saying, you're alive. You're doing okay. You're doing great. But God is saying something else is going on. See, they assume that they're alive because here's the thing. The evaluation of what is actually truly being alive is an evaluation that's given to them from who's around them. So again, this, this is not an, this, the reputation, the people around them, the, the, sard, the sardines, I was like, I don't know what the, it's going to sound funny, but like the sardine citizens, the sardine church, the sar, like all the church around, we don't know exactly who this reputation is before, who those people are, but here's the thing we know in Revelation. Anyone in this world and the evaluation that it makes about what is life, Jesus says again and again, is off. So where they're getting that echo chamber, where they're getting that reassurance, where they're hearing you're okay, that evaluation, that assessment is from a world around them that's not assessing rightly. God's assessment is giving the assessment that's true. 
And why are they content with being dead? Because everyone around them, the reputation, the things that people say about them is they have it all together. Every generation, every society, every culture constructs standards of being alive. In, in this world, every society tells us what to value. Every society will tell us what is successful, what is having it together, what is, you know, cultural philosophers the, the, call it the good life. Standards of beauty, what's worth investing in, what's worth sacrificing for, what, what's the reputation that you want, what are the pleasures and the comforts, how do you use money, who do you know, who do you relate to, who are you connected to, who do you get romantically involved with, what does it look like to be fully satisfied, to be important, to be relevant, to matter, to have purpose. All these things, when we publicly attain them, can give us the reputation of being alive while we are deep down still dead. This is why Jesus interrupts them and asks, what if your culture, here's the question for us that Jesus is asking, what if what you've received, what if the echo chamber around you, what if your current day, your generation, your society, what you have in this cultural moment is offering you a matrix, a simulation, a set of values, a system that if you inhabit it will actually numb you to the fact that you are not truly alive but you're dead. That's what was happening in Sardis. See, last week we we talked about uh, in Thyatira, they, there are these, we talked about the Jezebels of every generation, the sirens. Ancient mythology, the sailors are sailing along to their destination, and there will be sirens calling out to woo them off course. And we talked about how in every generation there are things of this world that woo us off course to not follow God, make the sacrifices, to fully give ourselves to Jesus, and give ourselves to the ultimate destination Jesus has for our lives. And that makes shipwreck of our faith when we go off course. But here's the thing. If we live in a world, Jesus is saying in every generation, in every culture, in every society, who actually at the end of the day follow the sacrifice and calls don't follow Jesus, then that means that all every generation, society, and culture will have to deal with the fact when all of their decisions are leading them to eventually go off course and make shipwreck of their lives and be dashed on the rocks. And no society, no culture will ever just go, well, I guess we're dead. Let's give up. You make a system that makes you feel alive while you're dead on the rocks. That's how you cope with reality. And so you construct a system full, filled with values, filled with narratives, filled with truths, filled with claims. If you attain such and such, if you get such and such, if you are with such and such, then everyone around you will say, wow, look at you. You have it together. You are so alive. In other words, it is hard. 
One of the hardest things about being in this world is if, if, if you're going to be serious about being a person of faith who's going to follow Jesus, what's going to be hard about following Jesus is that in this world, you're always going to be offered essentially a matrix. You're always going to be offered if you will just opt into this, if you will just fall asleep to, the, to reality, to this bigger thing God is calling you to, and you will just opt into this, then you can feel truly alive. It's hard to recognize it. Even. I, I feel this when I'm saying it. It's like, man, it's, do, how do I know if I'm not just like kind of asleep, that I'm not just dead? That I'm not just finding life in this world and everyone around me going, wow. I mean, it's, it, by the way, it's doubly uh, dangerous as a pastor, right? Wow, you have it all together. You, you know all these Bible, you're like the Bible answer man, right? Whatever it is. No one says that about me. Anyways, but you know what I mean. Or somebody looks at you, look at your career, look at your family, look at, it's so hard to know. And here's the thing, why I think this is acute for us, I say as modern people this is hard, is we live in a day and age where this is amplified. Because we live our whole lives around that echo chamber. Our whole lives are out there in public. Our reputations are constantly being assessed by others. And so constantly we live our lives amongst those who are giving a reputation, going like or comment yes or you do you or whatever the high-fivey thing is, right? Like they're making all these assessments, especially on social media. And so it's really, really, really hard to know if you're dead when everyone's liking the pictures from the vacation. It's really hard to know when you're sharing all of your experiences and you're sharing all your highlights and you're putting everything out there about your successes and all these things, and constantly you're getting that reinforcement of everyone's going, wow, they're so alive. Again, as we've talked about, or also we get to just make sure, we get to really kind of tailor our audience. We can make sure that those who are in the Reddit sub-channel that we really listen to in our echo chamber, they agree with us before we even begin. It's hard. How do you know in the midst of that if you're actually dead? And by the way, let me just, again, emphasize, none of those things are bad things. All those things are good things. Like we just posted the other day about, you know, our, our kids have all had their birthdays and so we've been posting about birthdays and we get comments on there and it's like, it's a great thing. Like there are many good things in our life, but what Jesus is saying is those just at the end of the day, you could have all those things, you could attain all those things and everyone could be saying you're so alive and you can still be dead. In fact, if anything, what he's saying is, ultimately what happens. It's not the surface level stuff. It's just a matter of at the end of the day, you find that sense of being alive from those things. And that's why I think if anything, what we feel is almost this anxious need to constantly be either, whether it's in social media, posting online, or going to other people around us, because I know not all of us are extremely engaged on social media. Probably the younger you are, the more you are. And this, is, this really applies. Older, you're probably more disengaged. But the thing is, where we go constantly searching for others to affirm us, to say when we know in the quiet moments something is lacking. And so we turn to the crowd, whether it be our coworkers at work or it be online or it be to someone in our, in our family or whoever, or friends we surround ourselves with, and we're so anxious to hear from them, no, you're actually alive. Perhaps the fact that we're so anxious to receive from the spirit of the age our, that breath of life 
betrays the fact that we aren't getting life from the Spirit of God. And what Jesus is saying is, I, I don't want you to live your life just trying to reign in this world, thinking that you're alive, assuming that you're alive. And then one day you find that, in fact, it's all just, it's been this investment in this thing that eventually goes in a box in the ground and doesn't go to the beyond with you. Are you trying to reign in this world? And in fact, you're just, but you're, and everyone around you is saying you're alive, but you're dead. In fact, maybe you have moments. I, I was, it's like this. I was reading an article by, um, not by, but about Emily Rossum. She's an actress on the show Shameless. I don't pass her recommend it. Don't watch it. And said, Pastor Matt said to watch it. But there's a show. That's what she's known for. And she was talking about how she had had like this GI tract issue. And so she couldn't like eat for like two weeks. And then they did a photo shoot. She felt horrible. She's like, I literally feel like my insides are decaying and I'm dying. And she goes into a photo shoot, but she's lost all this weight because of having been sick. And they're taking photos and they're like, you look amazing. Look how flat your abs are. Look at, you know, all that. And so, and they take, and she feels, she's like, I literally feel the worst I've ever felt physically in my entire life. And everyone's telling me how beautiful I am, how perfect I look. How I look better than I've ever looked before. How when the magazine goes out, everyone starts talking about how great she looks. And look, she must be on a new diet, right? <laughs> She's like, well, it's a diet, you know. Uh, but here's why I'm saying that. That she knew, while publicly my reputation is you're so alive, and she knows on the inside I feel like I'm dying. And the thing is, we have moments when we know it's so easy to project in our world that I'm so alive when in fact in the moments you're dying and Jesus says, you don't have to settle for that kind of living. You don't have to settle for some just reputation of life. That is, that's all it is. And it's gone in a moment. Saying, I will give you actual life. So how do we wake up? This is a moment here when I think Jesus, it's, you know, that moment in, in uh, that moment in the Matrix when Morpheus comes to Neo? Everyone knows it, right? Red pill, blue pill, right? You've seen the meme if you haven't seen the movie, right? And he comes to him and it's kind of that moment where it's like Morpheus comes in and he's like, you have a choice to make, right? This is kind of the moment Jesus is saying, listen, uh, I'm going to wake you up and you have a choice. In this life, you can continue to just kind of Live in the simulation. Live in the dream. You can go along. It's actually very easy, the more the technology and sociological, there are all kinds of things why. I think why this is getting easier. You can easily play along. But are you willing to wake up? Are you willing to wake up? Jesus goes on in verse 2. Wake up. Another way to translate that in the Greek would be to be alert, be alert, be watchful, open your eyes, look around you, see reality all around you. You're asleep. It's like the moment when he unplugs you. In this moment, he says, do you see? He says, be awake. You aren't seeing things rightly. You could be dreaming. These things you're living for are not real. And what he says here is he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. What he's saying here is, and here's the thing, if you, you feel like, man, I've lived, lived decades like this, or I've lived years, or I've lived months, or maybe like just the last month, like I've kind of walked away from church and now I'm kind of back, but I'm not sure really where I'm at. And you're thinking, 
it's just, I've gone too far. I'm too kind of far into living out this other life. What Jesus is saying is, no, you are made for me. You are made for certain works. There are certain things I want to do through you. There are works remaining. I haven't given up on you. Don't give up on my grace. So wherever you're at this morning, he's saying, I have whatever is still there. And yes, it may be a mustard seed. And yes, he's saying, wake up. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't assume this, you are dying. This will get harder to break out of it if you give yourself over to it more and more. If you just kind of bury that sense of I'm not really alive. That moment when you know you're really dead and you don't do anything with it and you just seem tomorrow I'll deal with that. He's saying, no, 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 no. This is the moment. Don't slip back into sleep. There are works that remain. I strengthen. So how do we strengthen? Respond. Strengthen. How do we do that? It says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. In verse 3, he tells us how. Remember, it could be then, it, it, it could be translated, therefore. Remember, therefore, because you are to strengthen, therefore, remember. So he's telling us now what to do. So if you want to wake up, this is that red pill moment. This is, in other words, what it looks like to take the red pill, right? Three things you must do to remember. Actually, I'm going to add a fourth, but I didn't tell them with the slides. But first, remember. First, he says, remember. Every day we wake up, and the easiest thing to do is just to slip into the motions of the world around us. It's the easiest thing to do. You get washed away, right? You have work emails waiting. You have texts that are waiting for you have You have things that are waiting, stresses that are waiting, and the easiest thing to do is just to get kind of swept away back into this world. And, and when you get swept away, you just start kind of grabbing because you're trying to survive. You're not thriving. You're just surviving, and you're trying to make the most of it. And what happens in the midst of it is you just begin to kind of take on the values and the narratives of the world. And, and Jesus says before when every day, remember you wake up an am amnesiac, remember. Every day when you wake up, remember you are mine. When you wake up, I remember for a while in my life I did this to actually, I use, and I'm a big believer in this, I think we're embodied, we can use our minds that affect them when we know things that affects kind of, you know, our emotions and our feelings and then that affects our actions. But also because we're embodied beings made in the image of God, we also can do things with our bodies, with our actions that also affect our emotions that then help remember or keep our minds on things. And so I remember for a while in my life, I actually got out of bed and I would kneel every morning because I would wake up and just get run away by all the stresses of the day. And I would forget all day that I am a child of God, that I am first and foremost to serve Jesus, that eternity is real. And so every day I would get down on my knees when I would wake up and I would actually pray that God would, kind of like, you know, a knight before a Lord or something, and it was just this to make my body go, okay, my life is given to you, Lord. And so I'd wake up every morning and do that. It was a way of remembering. Do you have a way every day of remembering? It could be being in God's Word. It could be doing something like that, praying first thing when you wake up and putting your, your hands on the bedside and, Lord, will you help me remember today that I am yours, that your kingdom is real, that what you value, what you say is true, is most true. Do you have a way of remembering? Or else you won't. That's what Jesus is saying. Second, then, is that then you have to resist. It's not just enough to remember. You have to resist. And uh, Jesus, when he says... Uh, when I say resist, because he says then next, remember what you received and heard, keep it. Whatever you received, 
keep it. Another way to translate that in the Greek is to guard it. You, you not only remember, but then you have to guard it. In other words, like football analogy, okay, football season, uh, you hold the ball, this is what you remember, this is what's true, hold on to that, then stiff arm whatever is coming at you, messaging or things that would make you forget this or drop the ball or let go of it, right? Messaging that makes you forget that this is true. Messaging or, or, or temptations in your life that cause you to just let go of this. He's saying resist. You have to remember. You also have to resist. One of the a helpful way of thinking about this is to just have a quick filter, right? How do I resist when there's so many things? Does that mean everything's bad? Just everything in the world. Like grandma comes like, happy birthday. You're like, no, grandma, right? Like, no. Like <laughs> my pastor said resist all the messaging, right? I don't know. I don't know your grandma, maybe, okay? But so what am I supposed to do? So a quick grid. Uh, under resist, a quick filter for this is receive, reject, redeem. Receive, reject, redeem. Some of you have heard this before, receive, reject, redeem. A quick filter is to think every day, what should I be receiving? What are the messages that come to me that are good? Like being a good dad or mom, right? But yeah, I should, I should try to provide as a father, right? That I should be faithful to my, my wife. If that's messaging you're hearing, you can receive that. There are many, you can hear messages from others in the body of Christ. You can hear good things and you can receive those things. Now, how do you know when you're thinking through this, what's authentic to receive and what you should redeem or reject? Well, it's kind of the old adage of how do diamond, you know, people who authenticate diamonds, how do they know, how do they become people who can authenticate true diamonds? What do they do? They study the real thing. They study diamonds. Study God's Word. Be in God's Word. Be praying to God. And then the Spirit is ready to move amongst the churches. Ask God's Spirit to give you wisdom of how to navigate life every day. Ask God to give you the power. Ask Him to give you the wisdom. Ask Him to give you the insight. Be in God's Word. Study the real thing so you can authenticate what's a lie, what's true, and then turn and go, God, in the gray areas where I don't know how to apply it, give me wisdom and how to do it. So I can receive some things, and some things I'm going to have to reject. Then you know when some, some kind of messaging, live for yourself, please yourself, go behind someone's back, gossip about someone, whatever that messaging might be, then you know clearly this is something to reject. Third, then, is there are some things to redeem. How do I use my money? What should I sacrifice for? How should I use my time? How much do I give away versus how much do I save up? These are all things that just need to be redeemed. And there's going to be messaging from the world, some of it good, some of it practical and helpful, some of it's going to be unbiblical. And what Jesus is saying is those are the messages that are part of that keep you asleep and dead. Or if nothing else, will stranglehold you and lull you to sleep. And so Jesus is saying resist keep it, have a way to guard it, receive, reject, redeem. But then it comes, verse 3, then continues, repent. In other words, what Jesus says is, and repent. Repentance is turning from not, it's not like Jesus saying repent. So turn from the fun times and go have a dour, you know, funless time with all the church people. That's not re what repentance is. What repentance is, is turn from the thing that is sugar-coated but is death. 
turn from that thing to trust me and find life in what I say is life. And Jesus is saying, repent from every day waking up and forgetting and just going along with the way of the world and living in the matrix and thinking that this is all there is of life and living for yourself. Repent of that because it's sugar-coated death. And instead, turn and find life in me. Trust me. Jesus gives a warning then if we don't. It's a warning that says, don't assume that you can just wait till tomorrow to do this. It's a, it's a warning that he gives at the end of verse 3 that is meant to allude to another parable that Jesus had given in the Gospels. It says at the end of verse 3, if you will not wake up, if you will not do these things, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I'm just going to stay kind of living the life I am and just kind of pretending. And Jesus is saying, at some moment, I will come and the fullness of my kingdom will come and you will wake up whether or not you like it. Jesus is saying, the matrix, the playing games, is for this world for now. But eventually what he's saying is, I will come like a thief in the night and you don't know when, but when I come, the matrix is over. And the fullness of my kingdom the truth of that reality will be all there is. It's a stark statement. We don't know if it will be five minutes from now, five years from now, 500. But Jesus is saying, or if it will be you have a heart attack two hours from now. The matrix will end. Jesus' reign will continue. So lastly, the fourth thing, Jesus gives an image, and this is, I think, the unexpected key to waking up. It's to risk. We don't have a slide for it, so if you're writing it down, to risk, R-I-S-K, risk. What do I mean? Look at the imagery that Jesus is going to close with here. He says in verse 4, yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. People who are not playing the matrix game, not trying to bow out, they haven't soiled their garments, they're not just trying to play around with the world, but he's saying, they are clothed with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. Why does Jesus go to this? Here's why. Because what Jesus is saying is these are those who refuse to live in the matrix and woke up to the reality of his reign and versus living their lives constantly pining for the reputation of this world that says you've got it all together. You're the guy everyone agrees with. You're the one everyone likes. He says they risked it. They put it all on the line. See, a martyr, this is describing the martyrs in Revelation 6 and 7. It describes them as the martyrs who are around the throne of God, who are clothed in white. It goes back to Daniel 12, those who were in exile and threatened with death. They, death, they were clothed in white when they were faithful. And he's saying, these martyrs, it comes from the Greek word martos, which means to be martyred, but also to witness. These were the ones who saw their oneness with Jesus, their identity with Jesus, the truth 
truth of who he is and living a life in accordance with who God is, they're the ones who are willing to risk their reputation in this world, put it all on the line so that they would be known as one with Jesus. And so he says, in, they didn't live for the matrix where their reputation was, you've got it all together. They risked it all by putting their life on the line and saying, Jesus is worth more than anything else in this world. In other words, here's the thing. This letter gets to this place of this image of those who were witnesses, who were martyrs, of saying they, put, they risked it all, their reputation, to make Jesus known. Because here's the thing, if you're willing to make Jesus known in the workplace and amongst your neighbors, if you're willing to live a life that's faithful to him, then what will happen is it's going to wake you up every day to the matrix that you're in. Jesus says, I will, they will not be taken out of the book of life because why? It's this book of life, this imagery from later in Revelation. He says, these are the ones who live forever in my kingdom. And he says, I will confess them before my father. Why is he confessing before the father? It seems Jesus is saying, I confess those who confess me. I confess those who confess me because they're willing to witness, they're willing to say, he is worth more than anything in this world. In other words, they're the ones who are truly alive, who are not dead in this matrix, just playing along. He's saying one of the ways that you wake yourself up every day is to make him known, to, to speak and make Jesus known, to witness to him, but also just in the conduct of your life to also say, I am going to follow Jesus no matter what, I will risk it. Because ultimately, if it means I lose my reputation in the matrix, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not really the end, ultimate thing. I can gain my life, or I lose my life in this world, I will gain it. And here's the thing. The beauty of that promise that's in each of those passages is the promise there is that when those who are in white, in Revelation, they reign with Jesus. In Revelation, it presents that throughout church history, those who die when we go, we're in this state where we're with Jesus, reigning with Jesus. In other words, we have, Jesus is saying, you can, you can reign here. You can give your life for this thing. You can build a kingdom like building a sandcastle on the edge of the ocean, but when the tide comes in, it's gone. But he's saying there is a life that will extend forever. And the picture of it is that you will reign with me. You will be free with me. You will be pure with me. I will give you a new name. I will give you my grace. I will give you my presence, my joy, my life forever. And you will reign with me. You don't have to settle for trying to reign in this fleeting thing. You instead can unplug, be awake, and you can reign with Christ forever. That is the invitation here. Jesus says, anchor your soul in what will last forever. Anchor your soul in me, not in this pseudo-reality. He says, remember me. Resist falling asleep. Turn to me and risk everything, every chance you get so it will wake you up and help you remember where your true joy and your true life is found. So you're not dying to live, but you're alive. 
Jesus says, don't settle for the reputation of being alive when you're dead inside. Jesus says to us, each and every one of us, me, you, we, he says, wake up and live and invest your life in what matters most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, just so many things here packed into this text, Lord, that are, Lord, these truths that we would be reigning with you, that you'd make us pure, that, Lord, we don't have to be pulled along by the narratives of this world that pull us along and pull us along with our guilt and shame for where our garments are already soiled. And it just leads to further messiness. Lord, thank you for freeing us from these. Lord, would you give us your grace and your mercy? Lord, would you remind us that you've made us white? And Lord, would you help us to, to hear your word, to, to wake up, Spirit, for each of us where we are falling asleep, where we are, where there's still that ember left of life. Lord, Spirit, would you fan it in the flame? Or whatever it is for each of our lives, would you give us the next step? Would you surround us with others around us that be an echo chamber of your eternal reign? Even as now that great cloud of witnesses celebrates over us, saying, keep going. It is worth it. Lord, would you surround us with those around us that remind us what it looks like to truly be awake so we not fall asleep. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.